Mm -hmm. Narayani was saying that this is a preparation for us as well to enter into the hermitage and to receive the same transforming power that uh, our Guru Paramahansa Yogananda received. I'm reminded a little bit of uh, Eklavya from the Mahabharat who wasn't able to receive physically the uh, training of the Guru uh, Dronacharya but then he makes the just an effigy of him he makes a little statue of him and just from that he receives so much and in fact becomes far greater even than Arjuna as an archer and so that helps us also constantly remember that what we're dealing here with are not physical realities so much as states of consciousness that are available to all of us to access and as we go through this the the vivid imagery that will be kind of revealed to us will help us hone in in our attunement to that consciousness so do kind of feel that as you're doing this don't treat this as just another fascinating story or a fascinating moment in Yoganandaji's life but also something that is very relevant and very present today or it can be in our own lives Chapter 12, Years in My Master's Hermitage. May I just say a little brief something? Let's just bring to our minds the fact that Yogananda is about to start a whole new cycle in his training. I mean, years in my master's hermitage. This is the beginning of a new cycle for him where he's going to be trained, disciplined, and perfectly guided in every single step. He became ready for this moment. So it's a very sacred um, turning point of his life. So, so let's keep in mind that all of us, if possible, let's enter into this new cycle of our discipleship. If you have a guru, if not, perhaps the beginning of a deeper commitment in your spiritual life, in your techniques, in your practices. You have come. Sri Yukteswar greeted me from a tiger skin on the floor of a balconied sitting room. So remember where we ended the last chapter, Sri Yukteswarji had told young Mukunda, you'll be back in four weeks time. And that's exactly what has happened. In the last chapter, Mukunda has just entered into the hermitage and now we're picking it up as if we never left off Sri Yukteswarji right there saying, you have come. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Yes, dear master, I am here to follow you. Kneeling, I touched his feet. How can that be? You ignore my wishes. No longer, Guruji. Your wish shall be my law. That is better. Now I can assume responsibility for your life. Before one sentence I missed, which is a little comical, is when Sri Yukteswarji says, you have come. Yogananda Ji describes his 
voice as cold and his manner unemotional mm. remember previously sri yukteswar ji had said you are going to have to reawaken my interest the next time we meet now that i have professed my love for you i have shown how happy i am at our uh, reunion again in this lifetime but the next time we meet you're going to have to reawaken my interest and i think uh, young mukunda has gotten the point for when he says no longer guruji your wish shall be my law that is better now i can assume responsibility for your life this is a moment to stop mm-hmm. swami kriyananda our teacher when he started um, uh, helping us on the path to kriya yoga created this very sacred very special ceremony of discipleship which is not originally part of uh you know the way paramhansa yogananda ji taught it of course in that way when you took kriya it was understood if you took kriya diksha that you become a disciple but swami kriyananda wanted us to really focus on that moment as a turning point as a moment of i was this person and now i am a disciple which should mean an entirely new perspective on anything we do in life on everything we do in life and it is that point at which the disciple actually gives permission to the guru to take responsibility in charge of their life now the relationship of a guru and a disciple is eternal there is at no point does it break at no point does the guru turn away from you at no point he's not watching you and your every step carefully hoping he can be there to support you but only after the disciple says to the guru your word is my law i place myself in your hand i open myself completely to you then and only then can the guru actually take responsibility actually actually take charge of your life where you're essentially placing your karma in his hands you're placing your own tendencies your likes and dislikes and now he's going to work with everything that you give him but remember this is not a one time thing when we take discipleship when we took discipleship it was not enough to say yes i open myself now i accept you as my guru it is a daily reality for every day and every moment the guru checks and sees is the disciple ready for me is he open to me does he want my guidance does he want me to take charge of his life and then and only then will he come in so think of your discipleship of course from a pers- one point where you recognize the guru you opened yourself to him but also think of it as a daily practice every morning to remind yourself where your power comes from who that power comes from yeah and, and not just only to want to be open to him and to become aware of his presence in your life but then he takes us a step farther and asks us i mean it's not enough <laughs> for you to want me in your life are you going to obey my wishes because his wish it's simply for us to become free in this lifetime so if we are open 
to obey whatever he considers is the best course of action for us, then he can really take charge of our lives. Because one thing is to accept him in your life, but if we don't follow what he asks of us, there will always be like a veil, like a barrier, like something that pre will prevent us from feeling that constant unity with him. So let's keep double checking in our discipleship, where we are at. Are we just enjoying reading his teachings and watching pictures and videos about him? Or are we practicing daily what he asks of us? I willingly transfer the burden, Master. This is young Mukunda. The moment his guru said, I am now going to take charge, young Mukunda says, I willingly transfer the burden. <laughs> My first request then is that you return home to your family. I want you to enter college in Calcutta. Your education should be continued. Very well, sir. So, this is the one thing Yogananda has been avoiding, has been hoping not to have to deal with. And in our own minds, you know, oh, I've come to my guru now. It's just going to be all spiritual and he's just going to take me to another world. But Sri Yukteswar brings Yogananda back to the present world and says, this is what I want you to do from a very practical perspective. And he explains it further why he wants him to do this as well. But you see, you cannot escape your karmas. You cannot hope that the spiritual path would be a means to bypass some of that which we have to go through and that which we avoid i don't know if you were participating with us in the bhagavad gita class that we just had on thursday where krishna explains anything that you're attracted to or anything that you're repulsed from both of them hold power over you karmically and so anything that we avoid too much if we have too much resistance to words, it's already a good sign that there is karma to be worked out there and it would be worked out more easily if we actually go towards it. And Sri Yukteswar is helping Yogananda relax into that truth. But then of course, young Mukunda so beautifully, very well so. You know, he, he it's not like he's happy, but now he's understood. Now he knows that he has a guru and that there is no point for him to go against his wishes. Someday, this is what now Sri Yukteswarji continues, someday you will go to the West. Its people will lend ears more receptive to India's ancient wisdom if the strange Hindu teacher has a university degree. You see, God, we feel, can do anything. And if he wants, he can change, you know, night and day and he can make anybody think and believe what he wants him to. But that's just not true. Because one thing God respects more than anything is our willingness to accept him or not. And he's given us that, perhaps that only one freedom. This is what our guru would say. The only free will man has is whether to turn towards God or away from him.
And so it is not that a great self-realized master would show up in a strange land and because he has so much magnetism and so much power, everybody's just going to fall at his feet, sorry. And everybody's just going to be like, oh wow, everything you say is so true. No, even the masters have to use the practical realities of this world. And something so simple as this. Oh, if you have a university degree, the people in the West will be more open. You see, everything is about how can I make people more open to receive and accept? Because until they don't open themselves up, even the master is helpless. And so Sri Yukteswar Ji, knowing the future fully, of course, Yogananda Ji also knowing exactly what's going on, <laughs> but playing the role for our benefit of what the disciple does and how he behaves. Um, knowing that there's a preparation here on a more practical level as well for a spiritual goal eventually. And know that the Guru, as so beautifully we can see here, he sees already the larger picture of the disciple. And that's something that we can't see whenever we are asked in life to do something that we don't like, that we repel, that we refuse, and we think we don't need to go through that. We are not able to see yet the reason behind it, but the Guru does. That's what the importance of trust completely in the Guru's requests and guidance because he knows what's going to happen to us 20 years from now, even in our next incarnation. So there is nothing more beautiful than be guided by a man of wisdom, a self-realized master that is shaping your karma so when the time comes for you to fulfill your dharma everything will be harmoniously arranged to support you in that process so don't judge that what you are going through right now is good or it's bad because what you are going through is what you exactly need right now in order to become who you need to become in 30 years from now. And I'm talking here only spiritually. For you to become spiritually ready to make deeper transformations within yourself and to face your karma with that understanding that if this comes to me it's because it's going this situation is making me a saint and then life really and your guru's guidance becomes one of the greatest treasures that we could have as a young monk swami kriyananda once was quite surprised at a thing that his guru paramahansa yogananda said to him because picking up on his thought and uh, Swamiji says, how did you know that? And Yoganandji said, I know every thought you think. 
<laughs> so that's a both a scary thought because oh no the guru knows every thought i think because many of our thoughts are not as uplifting as we'd like them to be and we keep them protected from the rest of the world even our nearest and dearest ones sometimes have no idea what's going on in our minds but you can't hide from the guru in his poem samadhi paramhans yogananda ji writes taking it a whole step further in he where he says all thoughts of all men past present to come can you imagine that people who've not even been born yet and the masters know their thoughts as well because in god there is no time <laughs> there is only the eternal, eternal present now. now and in that everything exists it, it's beyond our comprehension but it helps us just humble ourselves <laughs> to the point and say well maybe he knows what i do need thank god that someone else more knows better than we know <laughs> otherwise is like <laughs> and then of course again young mukunda you know best guruji these are the right words now now the right words are coming out you will be near in calcutta come here whenever you find time every day if possible master gratefully i accept your authority in every detail of my life on one condition young mukunda is <laughs> he's a hard one to please placing conditions before his guru but the guru likes that if he knows you are serious he loves that and what is young mukunda's condition yes shri yukteswar asks that you promise to reveal god to me an hour long verbal tussle ensued shri yukteswar ji was not going to give his word lightly because swami ji uh, yogananda ji explains here a master's word cannot be falsified it is not lightly given the implications in the pledge open out vast metaphysical vistas now this is not true only of a master's word although a master's word has so much power that yes if he says something heaven and earth has to rearrange itself in order to make his words true but the truth is we have that same power but we've misused that power for so long that our words are well they're pretty much useless <laughs> until and unless we give them power by ensuring that all the words that we speak are backed by our intention are backed by our action and not even one word slips out from our mouth that we don't fully believe that we don't intend to fulfill and that is just said casually as if it doesn't matter a guru must be on intimate terms indeed with the creator before he can obligate him to appear this is a powerful sentence the next okay. one no this one this. like must be intimate you know i mean it's like he's the representative of god himself so it's kind of you know mm, overwhelming also for sri yudheshwar to know he's going to grant a wish yeah. that you know doesn't know for you know like that consciousness the guru must be on intimate terms with the creator i love that word intimate 
you know that means they have to be really really close uh, swami ji would give us this example of if you're trying to you know befriend the king <laughs> which is probably a hard thing to do as uh, as a commoner but instead of trying to befriend the king which is very hard you can't even get to the king why not befriend somebody who is already friends with the king and then he will just directly help you jump all the loops where you would first have to meet the sentry he'd have to decide whether he's going to allow you in then probably there'll be another layer then another layer before you actually get to the king rather let's get to the friend of the king and this is what the guru is mm-hmm. he is an intimate friend of the creator and so he can introduce us to the creator as well finally shri yukteswar ji consents let your wish be my wish again so beautiful beautifully put because you see a, what has he done here i mean just think about it he's put the responsibility on the disciple's shoulder he's not saying okay i will uh, take you to god although that is always his intention but if i were to go to my guru and say guru ji will you take me to god will you promise to take me to god and he says okay i promise now i know my guru is stuck because he said the words he's now obligated to fulfill them the universe is obligated to fulfill them what do i do now i say great now my guru has said i'm going to find god so i don't have to put out that much effort anymore i don't have to do all the things because now my guru has said i'm going to find god but no, go ahead but here shri yukteswar ji says let your wish be my wish which means as long as you hold that final goal as the singular wish in your heart then it will be my wish also if you want something else then i'll support you in that you want to be caught in delusion i'll even support you in that because it will be up to you of how long you want to take how fast you want to go and where is it that you truly want to be and that i will support i just feel it's so beautiful how the guru disciple relationship is so balanced shri yukteswar asked something from yogananda right away like just in the first 5 minutes and and he asked huge things about him like put your life into my hands but then in the same half an hour one hour period Sri Yukteswar gave back something to Yogananda that he really wished and it wasn't a like a dislike or you know a little desire i mean Sri Yukteswar committed himself to fulfill that longing that Yogananda had so if that desire is so real in our hearts something that we have been longing spiritually for you know for so long and so deeply the guru the guru really is going to fulfill that for us so i i just found find this so um loving and so mm, powerful that in the first exchange that you have with your guru you are not the only person that 
is giving something to the guru. The, gi the guru gives you back right away. And this is explained just through words, but it's powerful. I mean, you give me your life, and I'm going to fulfill that that you have been longing for, incarnations. I mean, really, really powerful. Lifelong shadow lifted from my heart. The vague search, hither and yon, was over. I had found eternal shelter in a true guru. Of the vague search, so many of us are seeking higher realities and many of us are still looking for a spiritual path that is ours. But until and unless we don't find refuge at the feet of our Guru, it's always going to be a, now I'm going to look here, now I'm going to look there, now I'll check this out, now I'll check that, that out. And even many of us who are at the feet of our Guru, yet haven't made this little exchange that happened. You see, this exchange was important as Narayani was talking about. This exchange is the disciple fully accepting the Guru and the Guru fully accepting the disciple. Until this exchange hadn't happened, this whole lifelong shadow lifted from my heart and the vague search hither and yon was over would not happen. And so many disciples not yet making this connection with the Guru, they are still restless. They're still looking. They're still not sure. The spiritual path for them is still a vague search. Vague, why? Because it's still dependent on their likes and dislikes. It's, no, it's not dependent on, I am here to have my ego completely destroyed. <laughs> I am here to have my likes and dislikes completely destroyed. I am here to get my will attuned fully to the will of a self-realized master. Those realities aren't just going to happen. We have to make them happen and until and unless we don't make them happen, our spiritual search remains vague. And we have not even touched that awareness of the humility that requires to really accept fully a guru. If we don't recognize <laughs> that we need help, that we can't make this on ourselves, on our, you know, on our own, really it's going to be a very tough journey. So those, as Shurja was saying, who are around the Guru, but not fully open to the Guru's guidance, you can see in them like, mm, I think I can figure out on my own. And the Guru obviously is not going to impose himself, but humility to recognize that I need to be guided. I have tried for so many years on my own and it just doesn't work. So the recognition that we truly need help.
again uh, coming back to i mean this is bringing so many core relationships also with what swamiji would share with us of our guru uh saying that to the disciples there at the their ashram in los angeles uh master would constantly talk about attunement to the guru and that acceptance of the guru completely and he would say there are many rats on the ashram property but they're not making spiritual progress and he really wanted everyone to realize physical proximity to me not means enough. nothing <laughs> you know don't accept just because you're in the ashram just because you've decided in that one moment that yeah i want to give my life to god and then that's it and now you've not made any constant effort beyond that will not guarantee you any spiritual progress so for us we're not physically in the guru but yeah we've got the guru's photos everywhere we go to the center we go to our ashram we go wherever we go but that physical thing is the physical presence of the guru of guru bhai's of a space that vibrates with the guru what it does is it acts as an amplifier but it acts as an amplifier for what we have inside so until we don't get that inner attunement it won't be amplified so then shri yukteswar says come i will show you the hermitage you remember in the first meeting shri yukteswar ji had pretty much said to mukunda i will give you all my hermitages and everything i own and so <laughs> i i love this because nothing really happened between both of them until the most important conversation um happened at the beginning with words like let's go to business are you going to give me my <laughs> unconditional love yes then i will fulfill your wish you know like all this needed to happen like the first encounter like let's set everything clear here before anything else happened then when that conversation was over like okay chalo let's go then i'll show you you know the other things is so beautiful <laughs> my gaze fell with astonishment on a wall picture lahiri mahashaya yes my divine guru shri yukteswar ji's tone was reverently vibrant now we know <laughs> that shri yukteswar ji was lahiri mahashaya's disciple but until this point Yogananda ji did not know that and so suddenly to see his own family guru his now param guru lahiri mahashaya there it was suddenly like wow i can't believe it that lahiri mahashaya has been guiding my life silently all these years greater he was as man and yogi than any other teacher whose life came within the range of my investigations says shri yukteswar silently i bowed before the familiar picture now there is this whole section where uh, yoganand ji describes just the layout of the uh, ashram itself the hermitage which i'd like for you all to read at your own time we have a long chapter and there's so much meat so much juice here that we should just move on master invited me to stay overnight A supper of vegetable curry was served by two young disciples who were receiving hermitage training. Guruji, please tell me something of your life. 
Now we get a little glimpse into Sri Yukteswarji's past here. My family name was Priyanath Karar. I was born here in Serampur, where father was a wealthy businessman. He left me this ancestral mansion, now my hermitage. My formal schooling was little. I found it slow and shallow. In early manhood, I undertook the responsibilities of a householder and have one daughter, now married. My middle life was blessed with the guidance of Lahiri Mahashaya. After my wife died, I joined the Swami order and received the new name of Sri Yukteswar Giri. Such are my simple annals. His entire life till that point, just in a few sentences, crisp, clear, only those things that he thought were just important for young Mukunda to have a sense of what Sri Yukteswar's journey had been. No great, and then I did this, and then I did that, and then this idea came to me, and then I went and met this saint, and then Sri and Lahiri Mahasaya told me all these beautiful, you know, just very non-nonsensical. When somebody asks us about our life, you know, we just like, ah, oh, finally somebody's interested in me, okay, well, <clears throat> let me begin. Well, I was born, you see, here, and my father did this, and my... Sri Yukteswarji just super clear, super crisp, not wanting to distract from the energy and vibration and the purpose of their relationship. <laughs> Yogananji here says, like all biographic, biographical sketches, his words had given me the outward facts without revealing the inner man. Guruji, I would like to hear some stories of your childhood. I will tell you a few, each one with a moral. Again, I'm not going to tell you something just for just the satisfy, sake. Yeah. Yeah, just for no particular reason. This is not some sort of a storytelling time. I'll tell you a few. But each has a purpose, has a moral. My mother once tried to frighten me with an appalling story of a ghost in the dark chamber. I went there immediately and expressed my disappointment at having missed the ghost. Mother never told me another horror tale. Moral, look fear in the face and it will cease to trouble you. In these stories here, there are, there are two realities. One, of course, Sri Yukteswar is talking about his own uh, uh, early perceptions and the clarity with which he lived even from an early childhood. But there are two stories, especially here, that also talk about parenthood mm -hmm. in a very interesting way. Because as parents, I mean, I'm, we're not parents, mm -hmm. but... We have parents and we've gone through childhoods, all of us, and we know how that whole process is. Sometimes the parents try to frighten their children or try to, you know, say something that's not really true with the hope that that kind they of, you know, put, yeah. put fear as a driving principle of how to act. And that's a very, very um, unfortunate way to raise your children. I know it's hard. Believe me, it's hard. But as we start 
planting seeds of fear into them early on you know they then need fear to be their guiding principle throughout life and it becomes harder and harder for them to really give themselves to certain directions until that fear principle is not there and they make most of their decisions in life based on that fear and shri yukteswar ji here is saying as um, advice to both children and to each of us any time there is something that creates fear in you immediately before we let that fear grow and fester we should go and attack it face that fear head on as he says here look fear in the face and it will cease to trouble you because fear is solely a construct of your mind it has no actual substance in reality and so when you can face it immediately you are able to banish it but the more we hold it in our mind and don't face it that fear grows and grows and grows and grows until it in fact affects us for lifetimes yeah. i was say? going to bring that up about the lifetimes accumulating that another early this is a this is a more fun one i i really enjoyed this one another early memory in my wish is my wish for an ugly dog belonging to a neighbor i kept my household in turmoil for weeks to get that dog my ears were deaf to offers of pets with more prepossessing appearance moral attachment is blinding it lends an imaginary halo of attractiveness to the object of desire just beautiful so here it is shri yukteswar ji is young priyanath <laughs> wanting this ugly dog <laughs> just because he's decided he likes this dog a lot and he's attached to the idea of possessing that dog that even if his parents were showing him better dogs nicer pets much more i mean it's not like they were even saying no you will you cannot have that they wanted him to have something better but because he was attached to it and let's read, read these words it's just beautiful attachment is blinding so when i get attached to anything i essentially go blind because now i can't see anything. any other reality it lends an imaginary halo of attractiveness to the object of desire let's put it now in in spiritual terms the guru seeing that you want an ugly dog is trying to give you a much more beautiful dog better things even practically speaking the guru god the divine is wanting us to have more and better even on a practical level let's never think that to be the case where the guru wants us to despise the world so that we open our hearts only to them that's not the case at all but because we're so attached to our limited understanding to the little things that we desire the little sensory pleasures that we crave we're blind and we believe we see an halo of attractiveness to those things 
and we're unable completely to receive what it is that God and Guru wants to give us, even on material terms, let alone what they want to give us of the infinite spiritual treasure that awaits us. A third story, the final story, concerns the plasticity of the youthful mind. Again, very um, important both for parents and children. I heard my mother remark occasionally, a man who accepts a job under anyone is a slave. That impression became so indelibly fixed that even after my marriage, I refused all positions. I met expenses by investing my family endowment in land. Moral, good and positive suggestions should instruct the sensitive ears of children. Their early ideas long remain sharply etched. You want to talk about it? No, you can start. Similar in a certain way to the first story where his mother is using fear as a tactic. <laughs> Here, Sri Yukteswarji is talking also about things that aren't directly addressed to the children. What the parents say oh. around them. How they act around them. What opinions and perceptions the children hold. They make in fact often a deeper because when you tell a child something a child can reject it or accept it you know how we are in fact often when we tell some ch a child to do something he wants to do the absolute opposite so when you direct something to a child the child feels like okay I can choose here but when he's only surrounded by it his mind in that time is not choosing He's just generally receptive to the vibration of his energy, of his parents' energy. And so, in many ways, we ought to be a little even more careful. I know in my own parents' life, you know, we grew up uh, really thinking that there were never any tr problems between my parents. Uh, we always thought that they shared an ideal relationship. It was later on when I was closer to going to college that uh, my parents, my mother especially, opened up to the fact that they weren't uh, always a, a harmonious relationship between them. And in fact, at that time, their relationship was quite tenuous. Uh, but they were very careful, almost, around me and my brother how they interacted, what they said to each other. And if there was any disagreement, any disharmony, they tended not to show that too openly in front of us. And I'm always very grateful for that because it really helped allow us as children to receive from both our parents just very openly and in a very relaxed way as opposed to tuning into that disharmony and then creating, you know, you can say, um, taking sides as to who we like more and whom we want to receive from more. And I still thank my parents for that to this day, for being so conscious of the energy, the words and the environment that they created around me and my brother as we were growing up.
have anything to add? <laughs> no? There's the consequences that those actions have. I remember when my, par my parents got divorced, it was a very hard time for my brother and myself. And I could see, even though they tried their best, many times we, we felt we had to choose. And it was only very recently that I recognized how those, it wasn't a conscious manipulation from their side. I, I, I know that in my heart. They didn't do, they didn't know how to do better. And it, it has been only very recently that, that I had to ex speak with them and let them know, you know, this behavior had consequences in my later, later years and I had to reshape my way to perceive uh, situations, relationship. It was only when I came to the path, I was able to make peace with their behavior and um, be compassionate because they didn't know how to do better. And there is so much, of course, forgiveness and understanding, and we love each other so much. There is no resentment anymore. And even today, when I see there is a, a tendency in myself, I can recognize this impulse. It's not coming from actually myself, but from that memory that I saw in their behavior and, and it takes willpower to, to perceive that and to, to change even your reaction and your response to that specific situation. This requires a lot of introspection, but each one of us really have a responsibility and make sure that not just around your children, but the people you are working with, your goodbyes, your mother-in-law, your neighbors, you know, the shopkeeper you are interacting every day. Let's try to leave an impact in their minds of what it means to respond to life and to behave in a way that will have a permanent memory in their minds. Sri Yukteswar chose the following morning to grant me his Kriya Yoga initiation. The technique I had already received from two disciples of Lahiri Mahasaya, father and my tutor Swami Kebalananda. But in Master's presence, I felt transforming power. At his touch, a great light broke upon my being, like glory of countless suns blazing together. A flood of ineffable bliss, overwhelming my heart to an innermost core, continued during the following day. Another very key moment here. Now, young Mukunda had been practicing Kriya Yoga from an early age. His father introduced him to the technique first 
later on his sanskrit tutor swami kebalananda or shastri mahashaya as he was called at that time introduced him again and they were meditating and so young mukunda was practicing kriyas for many years but only as a technique now he was about to be initiated so there's are these two different things lot of people just want the technique many people come of course even onto our path and they say ki you know <laughs> when are we going to get kriya yoga this is what i'm here for and they're just looking for that technique and to all those people we very openly say listen if you're only interested in the technique there are in fact many people out there who give you a technique over the weekend if that is your intention please go find those people because for us kriya yoga is not a technique it is the transmission of the guru's power and that's the difference again and again between a spiritual aspirant and a disciple between a vague search where i just add techniques and i make a cocktail of you know practices of my own that more or less just support uh you know my whims and fancies or that i open myself to receive the guru and i use the technique only as a means to strengthen what i have received during the initiation and every time we practice our kriya it's not because okay this is the technique now i have to do this and this is how the breath is and this is what we do and this is how it goes and okay every tech kriya that i do is accelerating my spiritual growth well those are wonderful by products of any technique but that i am practicing to the best of my ability that connection with my guru that he gave me that he opened in me through that transmission of his power and consciousness and that's different here that's different for paramahansa yogananda here having received the technique and now having received diksha after this yogananji young mukunda returns to calcutta now he's not seen his father he since his exit from the mahamandal in banaras then off on off to agra and vrindavan then he went straight to serampore and now he's returning home and he's returning home on the behest of his guru now he's not returning home because he lost and he doesn't know what next to do now it's different even his coming back home has a different energy and flavor to it. But his consciousness has changed already so much. I mean just in that you know 24 hours with his guru he has gained so much clarity, so much understanding even what the guru disciple relationship is all about. I mean in 24 hours he has put his life completely in somebody else's responsibility i mean he's just he's just not himself anymore he's not just this young boy who has been visit, visiting saints and absorbing and just creating his own spiritual path and approach to the divine you know in that initiation 
so many of those preconceptions and understandings and veils that he created, they just were vanished by the touch of his guru. So now we have this new Mukunda who even in that transfer, he has accepted and willing now to face more joyfully than before his brother, his father, his dharma, his karma, his <laughs> studies, the co you know college. I mean, all those things that he has been fighting for years. He's now at peace with it, and this is an important thing because when we um, waste so much of our energy fighting for things. And one of the reasons we can't go deep in meditation is because we don't have that energy to just pierce through our meditation because half, or half of it has been or is fighting and resisting. Yogananda right now doesn't have that scattered energy anymore. He doesn't need to fight. He doesn't need to resist any, anything. He's just in perfect harmony within himself, in perfect attunement now with his guru. So all those restless energy that we carry also around ourselves, those things were completely removed at the very side and initiation um, of, from his guru. So that's something that we gain in the presence, in the initiation, in the awareness of our guru's presence, that all those things that we are constantly pushing aside, judging them and complaining about, once those thoughts are put aside, and trust that the guru knows, we regain so much energy almost instantly. And that's the job of the guru really, to remove those unnecessary concerns and fears and worries that we create and of ourselves. And this is, we don't need, we don't have to carry anymore around us constantly.